absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin In. We teased it on Instagram. I told you we had some great guests coming along. We got the man himself, Stephen Eim, Corn Ferry Tour player on the Corn Tours, we like to call it here. Um, Stephen, how's everything going? It's going good. Just uh, hanging out in Colorado for the week, so not much can uh, go bad out here. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. This place seems pure as anything uh from an outsider's perspective give me a tour pro's perspective on this course tpc colorado i think it's probably one of the best courses we've played all year i mean the the condition is is awesome um this place hasn't been swapped with a million inches of rain like we've kind of been accustomed to the last couple weeks on on the tour um so the greens are firm the fairways are firm and, and thank god the fairways are firm because the course is like eight thousand yards from the tips so even at elevation that still plays pretty long um, yeah so what it's just it's just an awesome track so what is it what are you guys like what are you and your caddy thinking it's playing actual yardage you thinking like 7250 7300 or so yeah i would say at least 7300 um about that i i usually i have a little cheat sheet of my yardages and whatnot and um you know your distance is kind of exponentially increased the longer your your club scale like your driver is suddenly going 50 yards further and stuff like that but um i think it, it's it's gonna play like it's a it's a golf course where there's a lot of really short holes that are kind of tricky and then there's a lot of long holes that can just kick your teeth in if they're into the wind so it's kind of a fun variety that's pretty cool. So now give people an idea uh, uh, of how difficult it is to get your mindset around, um, y- you know, I, I, uh, give me an idea. What's your stock yardage for like a nine iron? Sea level. Um, I, I hit a nine, I'd say about 155. Okay. So, and uh, at elevation, that's about 170 i would say all right so is that difficult for you guys to wrap your head around like or do you just play to the number and make your normal swing and just know it's going to go that far because like i've played golf once in high elevation uh Mm -hmm. in in montana big sky and Mm -hmm. like it was such i was just mind blown to see like my pitching wedge go 130 you know like i just couldn't wrap my head around it at all yeah you feel like you have to swing really hard to make it go 130 (laughs) but you actually don't you just have to hit it solid that's kind of the key um to the elevation is you know you can you can pull a six iron from 220 and it'll get there if you hit it solid but if you tow it a little bit it's going to be 20 yards short because it won't have that spin on it and it'll just fall out of the sky and it'll look like a normal six iron so it's kind of tricky but the way i do it is i i have a like I said, kind of like a cheat sheet. I just write down like what the adjusted numbers are for my stock clubs. And then when we get a number, we just do the, the normal number and I just look at my cheat sheet and it's, you know, Hey, we're 180. Um, you know, I can hit a full eight iron, you know, 185. So it's somewhere between an eight iron and a nine iron. And then you kind of judge the wind and, and uh, account for that, which is probably the hardest part is accounting for the wind, honestly, because it doesn't affect it as much, even though you still feel it. You know, you feel that 20 mile an hour wind into your face, but you can still hit a five iron, you know, pretty far into the wind. It doesn't quite catch it as much um, at altitude as, as you would think, or as you're accustomed to, I would say. Now, do you got, do you know exactly where you are at elevation, how high that course is? Yeah, I, uh, I looked it up the other day. It was like, about 5,100, between 51 and 5,200 feet. Okay, yeah, so you're um, up there. What the golf course is at. Yeah, definitely, definitely up there. Um, so now I'm assuming that you seem, I mean, being a guy from Iowa, the Midwest, where you're not typically dealing with elevation at all, you seem mm-hmm. pretty adept at it. Uh, last year, Utah Championship, I mean, you finished second to Camp Champ, right? That was at elevation as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I played well in Bogota this year, too. Um, which is about 8,000 feet elevation when you're up there. So I've definitely kind of, uh, you know, learned that I'm actually pretty good at elevation. Um, and I think I learned most of that from playing Latin America Tour because 
we go to places like Bogota and, um, you know, Ecuador was 10,000 feet elevation. So oh, that's like a whole nother, that's like a whole nother ballpark. <laughs> you almost can hit a six iron further than a four iron just because you need to spin on it to keep it in the air. It's, it's, it's really wild, but, um, it's definitely a learning curve. And, and I think I've played that enough that elevation that I, uh, have just kind of, you know, grown accustomed to it. I can, I can switch over really quickly from sea level to elevation. Gotcha. Um, so I guess the biggest news on Instagram this week with the course at Colorado are hole 13 and then hole 14. So hole 13, we have a 700-yard par 5, and then mm-hmm. you go right to hole 14 thinking, ah, maybe I'll get a little bit of a let-up, but you have a 275-yard par 3. Um are are those numbers like overinflated? Are they actually going to be playing those yardages every single day? What have you seen so far in the practice rounds? From what I understand, I, I think the par five yardage uh, will probably stick at that seven seventy number um, most of the week, unless we have a day where we're just going to have a, a heavy south wind. Um, from what they were saying, we we played it Tuesday into about a fifteen mile an hour south wind and. I mean, I, I crunched a driver, a three-wood, and a four-iron uh, just to get it to the middle of the green. So it was, it was it's definitely a real man's golf hole. It's, uh, it's a beast. And then the next one, you know, 273 or whatever it is, it's a little bit downhill. But once again, that I mean, that green is, is not really built to receive a shot that's going to come in from 270. So it's going to be, you know, maybe you try to run it up the left edge just to give yourself the angles if they play it all the way back. I mean, I think if they move the pins to the right side of the green on, on 14, um, the par three, they'll have to move it up um, a little bit. Um, but the left pins, I think they can leave it, and, and it, it's a playable hole for sure. And what are you what are you hitting there on 14, the long par three? Because I'd be hitting driver and then like a quarter lob wedge to get there. <laughs> I hit uh, I hit a 21 degree uh, like driving iron, like a three iron yesterday. Okay. Um, and it was pretty much landed about five yards short of the front edge, um, and it actually landed softly, which is kind of surprising because the greens are really firm this week. So it'll be a little different with that too because your downwind holes are kind of scary because you really can't stop the ball. Um, and the end, end of the wind holes, you feel a little bit safer. You feel like you have a little bit more control. Um, which is usually the opposite. Usually downwind, you're just, you know, flying everything at the flag. And, and then into the wind, you're trying to, you know, hit a little more chippy shots. But you don't really have to do that here. Right. And you guys have, and like you mentioned, you guys have literally brought the rain wherever you've been to over the, <laughs> the last month <laughs> and a half or so. I mean, the, it, you know, yeah. some of the places looks like it's been raining 40 days, 40 nights type thing. Like you got to build an arc. Um, you had a final round yeah. canceled, what, two three weeks ago is that right yeah south uh i think it was south carolina i actually yes. skipped that we got a buddy's wedding so i didn't have to uh sit in the clubhouse all day <laughs> waiting for the rain to stop which was nice <laughs> but it, it just seems like i mean it's almost an inevitable thing it's kind of become a joke you know like if you're if you're in a heavy drought area just host a corn fairy event and we'll bring the rain you know <clears throat> Yeah, that's the truth. Um, listen, speaking of the name change, and I, I just like to call it the corn tour around here. I mm-hmm. still haven't wrapped my name, my head around the name change. Um, have you seen any difference in the day-to-day operations of the tour since Corn Ferry took over for Web.com, or is everything kind of status quo right now? Um, I would say most of it's been pretty much the same. Um, you know, it's the same guys running the truck every week. Um, it's just got a different name on the side. So, you know, we're still getting pretty good quality tournaments. Everything's set up and run really well um, and things like that. So I haven't really noticed, you know, that much of a change. And I don't know if they were really trying to implement much of a change right away uh, or if they're kind of waiting for next year or um, the playoffs or whatever. Um, so, but it's it's been great. I mean, it hasn't uh, hasn't really changed much other than uh, just the names on the trucks and the caddy bibs. Yeah, it'll be definitely cool next year to see, uh, once they have kind of their fingerprints all over it, what they do differently. Because it's, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, a 10-year contract they signed? Is that correct? 
Yeah, I, I believe it was a 10 year. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, they're in it for the long haul. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like me personally, knowing some guys out there, players and caddies, like I would love to see the purses increase a bit. I would love to see you guys get to some more. Um, I, I don't would, know if I want to say. We would do. Yeah, I know. Believe me, I know that. <laughs> Um, I, I think I'd like some higher profile courses, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. guys definitely play some decent ones, but you know, being honest, there are some that are, you know, kind of raccoon tracks here and there, um, mm-hmm. that you would think yeah. probably shouldn't host a, a top tier tour event. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you definitely get some variety out here. That's for sure. And it's actually it's kind of nice to see a course, you know, like this week where it's going to play really firm and fast. But this year, I mean, honestly, that story has really been the weather with most of the courses. You, you see these crazy under-par cut numbers and crazy under-par wins. I mean, we get to some of these courses, and they're in fantastic shape, and then we just get poured on. And, you know, the greenskeepers do a great job. Like New York last week, I mean, there was water legitimately covering almost every single green that I saw when we were driving, you know, past the golf course to leave um and the next day you almost couldn't tell it rained other than you could finally stick shots from the rough but you know that was that was pretty much it so um you know it'll definitely be nice to um you know see if they try changing up courses or um you know things like that but i think i think the tour's definitely progressing towards um you know higher caliber courses and and you know more pga tour test like golf courses but um, almost everywhere we play has, has been in really good shape and has been tournament ready for us. Yeah, the, the grounds crew and the greenskeepers do phenomenal jobs, and I loved uh, I love the answer of variety. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, you gotta you gotta be prepared for a lot out here for sure. You don't uh, you don't really get any two that are the same out here. Yeah, that's the truth. Um, listen, can you give us a little? Uh, I, I know we've run kind of a little bit with this Colorado thing i'm just so interested in it because it's it's so Mm -hmm. different than we see week in week out you know on whether it's the Mm -hmm. corn tour or the pga tour or whatnot um but give Mm -hmm. us a little bit of a your backstory in golf kind of how you got started i know you went to junior college won a national championship there um you know being from iowa is it from a small town big city there kind of give us a little bit of your background from growing up in the game to when you turned pro uh what is that four or five years ago now yeah yeah i think it was i I graduated in 14 um so it's been this will be my fifth year as a pro yeah um but uh yeah i mean i'm from iowa i i I write down piazza iowa because that's where i lived for uh what I would say most of my junior golfing career. It's a city of about 3,000 to 3,500, but it's right outside Dubuque, um, Iowa, which is about 60,000 to 70,000. So it wasn't like I was growing up in the middle of nowhere, um, but grew up on a golf course there. You know, my parents had a house um, kind of right behind 17. So I was able to play a lot as a kid. And, you know, my dad would get home from work and and we'd hop in the cart and go play as many holes as we could until dark. And uh, more often than not, it was 18 plus, which which is pretty fun. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, to get out and play a bunch with your dad. Um, and you know, I learned most of most of uh, what I grew up was learning from him. And, and he was a great player. He's pretty much a scratch golfer his whole life, and he still is. Um, and uh, you know, kind of inspired me to keep working hard and and. Um, you know, me being the, the first kid of the family, I was the third, third, third in my family, but me being the first to really, you know, try to play state events and try to do that AJGA route, um, you know, it was kind of a learning experience for both of us. And I, I say the whole thing has been a learning experience, uh, my entire career. Um, but you got, you know, got into the junior golf scene kind of late, not until my senior year of high school, really. Um, so I wasn't super highly ranked, um, but had, had good seasons my, in, in high school, my junior, senior year, um, and just didn't really have a ton of offers uh, right out of high school. So I, uh, I decided to go the, the junior college route, which ended up working out great. I mean, Indian Hills, which is in Ottumwa, Iowa, um, which is kind of the middle of nowhere, actually, Iowa. Um, but, but the school was, was great, and we had just a powerhouse golf team. I mean, our entire starting five, I think, ended up playing Division One golf, and and three of us left after our freshman year with Division One scholarships. So, 
Um, you know, we had we had a pretty powerhouse team there. We had a couple individuals win tournaments. You know, our sixth man that wasn't even on the on the starting five. Wow! Uh, so it was always a constant fight. You know, to kind of stay on the squad and and to keep playing. So um, I think that was great. And and our coach there, you know, Mike Hagan, he's I think he's down at uh, Arkansas State now, and he he flipped them around from you know 160th in the country to I think they're a top 30 program this last two seasons. So. Um, you know, he was he was a great coach, and he just really made us work hard and kind of gave us that awesome work ethic on the golf course. And and after after that year, you know, transferring to Iowa, um, which kind of was a late transfer. I didn't end up transferring until August, about two weeks before classes started. So I was just kind of thrust into into school, and and but I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have left. I, I was told uh, I was told. Hagging this from Indian Hills, I said I wouldn't have left if I didn't think I could have played at Iowa. Like if I would have, if I would have thought I was going there to just ride out the bench for a year and then you know maybe try to play the next year, I definitely wouldn't have gone. I would have gone back to Indian Hills, but I felt like I had something to add, and I knew a lot of the qualifying golf courses, you know, from playing high school golf at the St. Fine, which is you know University of Iowa's home course, and and playing Blue Top Ridge, um, you know, and some two state junior events and whatnot. So I kind of had a good grasp on what our qualifying courses were and um you know ended up qualifying right away as a sophomore as a super late transfer um which which was really awesome and kind of you know validated my choice to to transfer to Iowa and then you know had a really great fall under under coach Hankins and a pretty good career at Iowa with you know first first person to be three-time all big 10 um in program history so you know I had three pretty good consistent years there had four wins in, in my last two years um at iowa and we ended up making we made nationals one year my sophomore year um we had a, a really good team that year and and it was a lot of fun but but then you know the pro game came after that and uh it was it was a really hot start for me my first start was actually the john deere class like i got a sponsor invite um right out of college and it was actually my second sponsor invite i got a sponsor invite as a senior in high school or uh college as well so i played one year as an amateur and then graduated and i got to uh make my pro debut at at, at jbc which is this week so that tournament's awesome and i just love the whole atmosphere of it but i was kind of spoiled right away coming out you know first pro event pj tour and i played well made the cut finished it um i think i was like 10 or 12 under which was uh, like top 30 or something like that. I can't, I can't remember exactly what, but you know, it just kind of proved to me right away that I, I made a good choice in, in terms of professional golf. And that you know, then came the grind and, and, and it's, it's always a grind out here as, as everyone will probably tell you. But, uh, you know, this being my first full season on the, on the developmental tour, the web or the corn ferry, whatever it's been, uh, it's been a lot of learning experiences for sure. And, you know, definitely trying to learn all the new courses and, and, uh, you know, trying to fit in time to, you know, maybe work out or stretch or try to keep your body healthy is, is really important. And, and uh, I think this has been a good building year, and we still got some weeks left to play some good golf. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, listen, I got a few questions based off of, off of all that. Um, yeah. As far as collegiate golf goes, do you feel the Big Ten mm-hmm. is severely as underrated as I feel they are in collegiate golf? Yeah, I mean – We've we've had some pretty good teams, about as underrated as we are in football too. You know, we're we're pretty good in football too, but we beat each other too much. That's that's the problem. But no, I think I think Big Ten golfers um, definitely play a little different game than than most people because we we tend to get some pretty crappy weather for for some of our uh, you know late fall meets and early spring meets. So. I think you'll definitely get, you know, some grinders out of out of the Big Ten golf. Yeah, that's that's exactly the way I feel. You get those mutters, those grinders that are, mm-hmm. are you know, I don't want to say okay with playing in 45-degree weather and beanie caps and, you know, compressions on. Yeah. No one really likes that, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, I mean, like you look at Illinois, you know, with Mike mm-hmm. Small, you get a team there that's, I mean, nationally dominant. Um, and then, like mm-hmm. you said, all the other teams end up sending one or two kids every single year that that make some noise. Now, I used, I used to coach high school golf, and I coached against a kid that mm-hmm. went to Penn State. 
Um, and again, yeah. he was the it's the same type of kid. It's that grinder, and it's like okay, it might be ninety eight degrees and one hundred percent humidity. And he's like, all right, whatever. That's that's what I get. It might be forty five degrees, you know, and a yep. light light flurries. And I think it just yep. it brings out like that underdog mentality and just that hard nosed type of athlete that comes out of the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think uh, you definitely won't make it far in the Big Ten if, if, you're, if you've got a whiny mentality, for sure. Yeah, I think it weeds out prima donnas pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, who did you play with at the John Deere? Do you remember? Uh, I actually, um, the first year, I actually played with Ed Lohr and uh, uh, And he's out on, on the corn tour right now as well. Yeah, yep. yeah, Ed's on the corn for any lives in Dallas, so I see him around at some, you know, local little pro one day or two day events. Um I forget the other guy I played with that year. Um but the second year I played with uh Paul Stankowski and uh Paul Stankowski and I wanna say it was D. H. Lee was the other one in our group that okay. year. And then on the weekend I played with uh I forget who I played with Saturday. I think we had to go three sums on Saturday. Um, Saturday or Sunday, but I played with Glenn Day the one day, so it really wasn't, uh, I didn't get to play with Jordan Spieth or anybody like that. <laughs> <laughs> but we did get to play a practice round with Jordan Spieth and Zach Johnson and, and a couple of those guys, so it was so fun to, to go out and kind of, you know, shoot the shit with them <laughs> for, for nine holes and just kind of pick their brains and, you know, see how they, uh, do their week to week, you know, routines and, and, uh, and whatnot. So when you're when you're out playing with a dude like let's just take George Spieth for example, right? I know mm-hmm. a lot of guys yeah. on whether it's the McKenzie, Latino America, PJ Tour China, Corn Ferry Tour, you know, I mean mm-hmm. let's be honest, you guys are half a stroke maybe away from a dude like that. I mean the the line is so razor thin, the difference between making it and not making it, or making top 25 and being top 50 or whatnot. When you see a guy like George Spieth and you are playing nine holes with him, is there much difference in your mind between what he's doing out there and what you're doing out there? Or does it seem like worlds apart? I think uh, it's interesting to see like what the strengths of each individual guy's game is. Cause I would say um, most guys on the PJ tour will do one thing that is like really good. That'll kind of impress you, you know? And I remember that day playing with speed, I mean, he would throw a wedge down or a ball down in just all these random places um, around the greens, and he'd flick it out to, like, within five feet almost every single time. And I was just like, holy cow, that is (laughs) so good. I mean, it was, like, effortless. It was so so cool to watch. And then Zach Johnson, I mean, a shot inside, every shot inside 130 yards, I don't think it left flags. And and it was just really kind of cool to see that. And then to, to hear them say, like, hey, man, like, you have a great game, too, like, you know, because visually, or not not visually, but, like, in your mind, you know, you build these guys up to be just unbelievably good and whatnot. You know, you watch them on TV every week, and then you get to go out and play with them, and you realize it's it's not that far off. Like, it's attainable for sure. Maybe, maybe you know, to be Tiger Woods, you got to be really good. But, <laughs> but to just make it on tour and to, and to make a good living, that line is so razor thin, like you said, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely getting thinner by the day with, you know, all the new college kids. Like people always say, how many people, you know, try to turn pro every year? And I was like, well, there's probably 500 college kids every year that turn pro. So there's another, you know, 500 kids that are all really talented that can come out and usually play and compete right away. It's just a matter of getting that status and, and getting that, you know, getting through Q school or getting, you know, the, the uh the matt wolf you know doing the sponsor invites and just balling out and getting your you know getting a win and four starts there you know so it's uh it can be more of a grind for others but that that line is is really thin for sure yeah and i think the biggest thing is is kind of never to lose hope because you see guys that'll grind away for seven eight years on the the corn tour and then they get like a whether it's a sponsor's exemption to a pga and then they top 10 and then they get into the next week and you just Mm -hmm. you never know when 
that moment's going to arise. And Scott, my co-host, always says, and we talk about it all the time, how it is just beyond difficult to get to the PGA Tour. But once you're on the PGA Tour, it's also very difficult to lose your tour card. You know, I feel like once you're on it and once you're there playing week in and week out, you know, mm-hmm. you need you need what? You need lightning in a bottle once or twice a year and you mm-hmm. know, you've got your yeah, card. It, I, I think it's definitely tougher to um like transition right away from web to PJ tour and, and keep your card that year because um like there's so many of those exclusive events, you know, like the, the WGCs and whatnot that you know, graduates from our tour aren't going to get in and whatnot like that. And those, those points weigh, you know, you get a lot more points for those events than you play in, um, you know, like Barbasol or, you know, the off week events, the Puerto Rico events. So even, even like a, a win in Puerto Rico, you know, is, is not worth as much as being exempt into these no cut fields where there's only 70 guys and you know if you get five of those a year it's really hard to kind of lose your card i think honestly yeah i mean um, it's it's the truth but it's still, it's still i mean it could disappear though all in one day like some guys have had that happen i mean it's it's really crazy you're you're always i, I tell people honestly you're you're five great rounds away from being on the pga tour full time like you can monday qualify in and play four rounds and be on the PGA tour the next week. Like that, that's, that's happened. That can happen, you know? Um, but you're also, you're also one good swing thought away from stringing together, you know, a bunch of top fives on, on the corn fairy tour. So, um, it is, it is a, it is a thin line and, and we're all trying to, uh, dance all over it. Yeah. You saw, I mean, you, you made mention of that. You saw Patrick Reed do that, uh, what, three, four years ago, the dude just Monday qualified into everything. You know, and yeah. then a top and five. Then PJ, PJ Vogel last year, I think yep. he Monday into like yep. six events or seven events. But, and I mean, Corey Connors, Monday's in and wins. I know that's a little different because he already had like a third place and a second place. He was like 30th in the FedEx Cup, but wasn't getting starts because of his, uh, you know, category that he was reshuffling within. But still, a Monday qualifier to win a PJ Tour event is always kind of a cool story. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the reshuffle. This is like the bane of my existence on the PGA Tour. Um, do they, so like when you, if you make top 25 or, or top 50 or so, or top 75, you know, for conditional status or whatever it is, do they ever sit mm-hmm. down with you guys and explain to you like, okay, this is why we do this reshuffle or do they just tell you that the reshuffle is this, this is your number. And then like, these are the events you'll get into before the reshuffle. Because to me, like it, it's just, it's insane to give certain guys starts at certain times of the year. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's such a crapshoot. What do you mean? Like, like guys who may be top 25 on our tour and they're not getting starts right away. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that, but then, you know, like sometimes when you get knocked to the bottom of the reshuffle, you won't even get into certain tour events that you would have if you were, you know, higher up on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it would be nice to, um, maybe guarantee a certain number like like for those fall series events for the pga tour you know maybe maybe just make an exempt category where if you were on the corn fairy tour the previous year you are like guaranteed to start and you don't even have to worry about it you know i think i think that would be nice um just to kind of give you some validation like hey i just played a great season you know and and i got my pga tour card and and then you, you flip over to the PGA Tour and you're like, crap, I might not get to start my first four weeks out here, you know? And that's, that, could, that could be really frustrating. I could, I could see that really uh, getting on some guys' nerves. Yeah, it's tough for planning, too, because it's like, okay, uh, you know, I've got my tour card, but these mm-hmm. four weeks, like, there's other events I could be playing, you know? Now, now so if you have your PGA Tour card, let me ask you this, because this is something I'm ignorant to. But let's say mm-hmm. you get your PGA Tour card, top 25, and like you said, there are four weeks, I think it's almost five, because of WGC events and whatever else um, that goes on that a guy from the Corn Tour does not get in. So if you had your PGA Tour card, could you go out and play a, a different event that was going on that week, or does it have to be exclusively a PGA Tour event? 
like you you're saying like if you're so if you're not into an event could you go play like a state open or, or well, um no i mean or like, go play like a corn fairy event yeah or like let's play, say there yeah. was latino america or mckenzie tour a corn fairy tour that week are you allowed to there, you know, yeah there there is some reverse playability um and what what's like you know if you get your card from top 25 here the next season, you actually have fully exempt corn fairy tour status because you are in the top seventy-five on the money list for us, which is what gets you your fully exempt card. So, if you're in the top twenty-five, you can always come back down and play okay, gotcha on, on our tour on any given week, and and you will be in no problem. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, that mm-hmm. makes that makes sense then. Um, yep. So tell me how like how do you guys deal with being away? from home so much because you mentioned the corn ferry tour being such a grind. Um, and obviously it is. And, you know, to me, it always annoys me that the schedule is never really travel conducive. You know what I mean? You, you go yeah. from the South to the, you go from Utah to yeah. New York to, to Colorado. To Colorado. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yep. <laughs> just, just like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's been kind of nice this year. My uh, my wife is actually uh, helping out with some of the surveys um, that they do at every tournament um, on on the tour, so she gets she gets paid to do that. So she's actually traveled with me the whole year. So this is the first year that she's actually been able to travel with me, um, which is really nice because a lot of the tournaments in the states. I mean, this year they were kind of drivable. You know, like if if you had two drivers, it made it a lot easier. Um, but there were still a couple that, um, you know, kind of made no sense, uh, like doing Nashville to Kansas City and then all the way back to Knoxville. You know, it's like it's like an eight-hour drive to Kansas City, and then it's all of a sudden 14 hours back to Knoxville. Like, that that kind of makes no sense to me. And, and even doing, like, if you could string together, you know, Savannah and the Alabama event and then do the two, you know, Tennessee events, those would all be within a five-hour drive of each other, and that would, that would make life really easy for us every single one of us would drive there you know um but i i think i don't exactly know how they plan events or how they they put together the schedule i would assume the sponsors probably have a pick on what week they want the event to be um and the tour maybe has to work around some of that but i'm not exactly sure how all of that planning goes but it it would be nice to you know have a bit more drivability um between some of the events to cut down on expenses for us and, and, you know, make life a little cheaper for, for everybody. Now. And so I'm taking it that you guys are driving every event. You're not doing any of the flights or anything to it. Um, we, we actually, uh, we travel with our dog too. So that's kind of why we drive a lot of places, but the last couple of weeks we've actually flown. We, we flew from, uh, from Wichita. We actually drove up to Des Moines and, and dropped off our dog. And then we flew to, uh, to Utah from Des Moines, Iowa. And then, so we've flown the last three and we'll fly to, um, California and, and Portland and, and events like that. Cause it's just unrealistic to try to drive the, the wear and tear on your body would be way too much. You'd, you'd feel like crap all week and have no chance of playing well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now yeah. once the, you know, what do we got? Five, we have five events left. Is that correct? Four and then the, yep. then the tour championship, right? Yeah, we have, uh, what do you, it's this week, and then Omaha, Springfield, uh, Colorado, not Colorado, um, San Francisco, and then it's Portland, and then the and then Indianapolis, there. right? Yep. So yeah. there's five, including the championship. Okay, so once that's over, um, what are your off-season plans? What do those consist of? Uh, well, it, it depends on how the next few weeks go. Honestly, uh, you know, you hope you don't have to go back to Q school, but. Um, at the same time, if it happens, it happens, you know, you gotta, you gotta probably stay on that grind for the next few months and and try to get your card back, uh, you know, come October, November, December, uh, when those weeks come up. But if I were to retain my card and, uh, and play well the next few weeks, I'd probably spend, um, about two weeks on my couch for the first two weeks off (laughs) and then probably, start working out again to, to kind of get ready, but I'd probably do a couple of the Mondays, um, for the PJ tour on that wraparound. Um, just because why not, you know, you can go play them for pretty cheap with web status and, and, uh, or corn fairy status. And, 
you know, you might catch that lightning in a bottle one week and change your plans for the next year. For sure. Um, all right. So you mentioned fitness and stuff. Let's talk that. That's something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm a strength and conditioning teacher, so that's something that I just love to kind of pick people's brains on. Um, so do you have a specific off-season plan? Do you work with somebody? Um, are you kind of on your own piecemealing things together? How does, how does that um, occur and then... How does the transition happen once the season starts? Are you still working out? Are you still lifting? Is it mostly band work, cardio? What goes into all that for you? Yeah, it's it's definitely a balance once you start traveling. But um, off seasons, your your time to you know try to maybe get healthier, strengthen areas that you weren't you know you didn't feel confident on the last year. Um, I've been piecing most of it together myself. I had a buddy who was uh, you know a trainer and, and you know, kind of left that and went to PT school and, and, and that, but he still sends me some workouts and I do a lot of that just kind of trying to maintain core strength. I don't, I don't do too much. Um, just cause I'm afraid of getting hurt. I have seen, you know, a lot of guys try to do more heavy lifting and whatnot and, um, doesn't always work out very well. Um, but I, I do like my cardio. I, I'm a big mountain biker. So when I can in the off season, I try to go mountain biking as much as I can, which is, you know, kind of my cardio workout, but also something I enjoy doing. It's fun. You get to be outside and, and, you know, fly through the trees. So, um, that's kind of what my off season consists of. And then once you get to the season, you, you have to try to maintain, you know, some type of routine. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty important to keep your body healthy and, and to, uh, you know, maintain what you had for the entire season. I know last year I, I I really struggled with it, and by the time the end of the season came around, I, I honestly think it was just sleeping on a different bed for you know 14 consecutive weeks. But by the time the playoffs came out, I was just like super burnt out, and <laughs> I felt terrible. But I didn't want to skip an event just because you know it's the playoffs. This is your chance to get a PGA Tour card. But you know, flying from Portland all the way to Columbus uh, after that last event, and I had two flights canceled on the way out there, so. I didn't end up getting in until, you know, like Tuesday afternoon at, at four o'clock and I've, I've never seen the Scarlet course. So I had to go try to grind out 18 holes and then, uh, you know, just to get a picture of it and then try to play on Thursday after really almost two days of traveling. It was, it was pretty tough to kind of start off the playoffs that way, but I just felt like I was falling apart at that point in my body just was telling me you need some time off. And, and I've been fortunate this year. I've been able to take, you know, I took, I had a buddy's wedding and, in June and, and we took that Knoxville event off just because that 14 hour drive didn't sound too fun when we're only a few hours from home and then the next week Chicago so um, so yeah people think golf is is so easy and they they fail to realize that the travel is all on your own dime it's all on your own expense it's the travel is probably more of a grind than than the actual <laughs> tournament is you know it's probably I mean yeah it's uh it's crazy to to tell people you know you probably spend 60 grand a year traveling to play our tour um you know if you don't just skimp it the whole week and, and that in, probably includes like paying your caddy for the year um or paying him you know his, his salary and whatnot uh or his weekly wage whatever um it is but and if you keep your if you keep your corn fairy card you've I mean, if you're 75th on the money list, you've probably only made 70 grand for the year. So it's, it's a really small margin to, to actually, you know, get by and, and be prepared for the next year. You know, if you end up, if you keep your card and, and you've got to play the next season. Yeah. And it takes such a strong willed and strong minded individual to for essentially sure. gamble on themselves week in and week out. And that's one of the things I think that impresses me the most about the guys out on the corn ferry tour and, 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 you know, the McKenzie to a certain extent, you know, Latino American PGA tour, China, all those, um, mm-hmm. is, is the fact that you are kind of doubling down on not house money, but your own money each and every week. So, you know, it's got to be demoralizing some weeks when you see your output and then miss the cut. You know, um, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it makes the top finishes so much more sweeter. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, having, I mean, last year it was 
I was just riding the high, you know, for, for those. I only, I, my first event was uh, Chicago last year. I got in on a Monday out of a six for one playoff for the last spot. So I was just like playing with house money at that point. I was like, great. I've had conditional status all year. You know, I've done, I don't know, probably 10 Mondays and I don't think I shot over par in one of them. And, and I finally made it through one, you know, on a six for one playoff. And, uh, it was it was awesome to kind of play that week. And, you know, I think I made a couple grand. I, I just missed top twenty five by one. But then, but then two weeks later to get a start in New York, and then the next week to finish second. And and you know that was a pretty big check, and that just kind of changed you know the next year and a half of my life really. Let me ask you this. You know, I'm going to get you out of here in a little bit, but I I always like to ask the tour pros this. Um, can golf still be fun? Is it still fun for you when you're out there? For sure, definitely. I think it is a business and it is work, but, I mean, you have to like playing golf. You have to enjoy playing golf to want to do this for your job. I mean, it's 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 difficult. You can you can have the lowest of the lows, but at the end of the day, you, you still love playing golf, I think. That's awesome. Like, I love hearing that um, because I've met a ton of guys where literally there's some weeks where they wish they would be anywhere else than on the golf course. And I think, and it shows in their demeanor. You know, I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it yeah. leaks out into your play if you don't love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, it, I, think, I think it's funny to, like, Monday qualifiers are tough, you know, but I, I feel like the biggest mental edge to those is to never let yourself really get out of it like you can see guys get down on themselves so early in a monday qualifier and you really have to believe that i can legitimately birdie seven holes on the back nine like on any given day you know it 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 might not be today but you still have to believe that it is today you know and and i think you just have to have that mentality every time you play you know it's 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 always out there to get you know and if you go out and you're 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 with a whiny demeanor you're not believing that you know you can make seven birdies on the back nine or nine birdies on the back nine you're you're believing oh, i'm gonna shoot you know even par or whatever and you're already out of it at that point right or maybe yeah. not this week this week even par might be okay <laughs> <laughs> um i caddied for a buddy once at a now this is back when it was the nationwide tour all right so that's going two mm-hmm. iterations uh back of sponsors and he thought he was good enough, and he said, hey, man, you'll keep me calm out there. You'll be great for me. You know, I trust you with all the yardage and everything. Caddy for me at a Monday qualifier. I was like, all right, cool, no big deal. So we play a mm-hmm. practice round there about four mm-hmm. or five days before, and mm-hmm. I was charting all of his yardages, but I was playing as well. And at the end of the day, I beat him, and he was like, hey, what'd you shoot? And I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, I didn't, I didn't play too well, you know, because I don't want this guy to – get down on himself i'm like you know okay his caddy's playing better than him and uh so i fudged some of the numbers at the end and i was like oh you got me by a few strokes man it's like yeah that's why i'm gonna go dominate i was like all right cool yeah let's go you know like you've got to be cocky sometimes we get to the first tee and he's like i'm gonna hit driver now this is like a short dog leg left and i said why Mm -hmm. we said you're gonna hit four hybrid he's like no dude i'm pumping driver onto the green i was like well here goes today and sure (laughs) sure enough he he pumps it out of bounds and kind of looks at me and i was like whatever dude and i spent the next four and a half hours just basically you know conversing with the other players um yeah i got to hang out with ricky barnes on the tee box for a little bit but i mean this guy was a head case didn't turn Uh, in his card or anything and and uh yeah that was my first intro to uh to monday qualifiers and what they can be like (laughs) yeah they can they can flip a 180 real quick uh with with some guys but it's it's one of those things i mean monday is the most cutthroat route to go of of any way to try to play professional golf but for some guys it's it's the best way to go um you know and i i kind of learned that last year i making finals and having web.com status, just getting one start, you know, you can change your whole season. And that's what it ended up doing for me. So uh, I, I actually Mondayed into the Byron Nelson, a, a PJ tour event before I made it through a, a corn Ferry tour one Monday, you know? So it's just like, gee, should I just go do PJ tour Mondays instead of, instead of, you know, corn Ferry Mondays or what? But you just, 
you just got to stay on that grind. Yeah, I mean, the level of golf is, is so high. And like we said before, like, it's just so razor thin. It's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. I mean, it literally yeah. is nuts. Like you just said, you Monday into a, a PGA Tour event, you know, and, mm. and then, you know, not saying it's going to happen, but a week later you could miss a cut on the Corn Ferry Tour. It's just, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. what do you have in the bag that week? That's it. You got to play with it. Yep, pretty much. Sometimes that's the way it is. If you're suddenly hitting a cut, man, you play cut this way. <laughs> Before I let you go, I want to get your thoughts on technology and the game. And I don't want to get too deep into it, um, but like this year, like you're averaging 305 off the tee, and you are 40th on the Corn Ferry Tour in average driving distance, averaging over 300 yards. Um, now, as an amateur, and I, you know, I'd say like a semi-decent amateur, I love technology, right? Because <laughs> when I catch it well and if I'm swinging well, you know, I could put it out there 265, 270, and for a little guy, like, that's phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. But... Like, what's your mindset? And I've talked to a bunch of people, whether they be on the other side of it, you know, like people in the USGA that are trying to semi rein it in, not that they're doing much with it. Um, and I've mm-hmm. talked to caddies and stuff. And, and, but most of the pros that I've spoken to have been like, look, as long as it's there, that's what I'm going to do. But if you had yourself, um, a position of influence and power in golf and you were able to make rules up, uh, would you change anything as far as technology goes, whether it be clubs, uh, balls, et cetera, et cetera? I'd probably first change the wardrobe. You have to wear the knickers and the suit and tie every week. Oh, um, hell yeah. I'm in. To, I'm in. to really make guys mad. You know, they just got shorts and then just make them go full 180 right away. Uh, can we go back to hickories um, too? Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe one week a year we'll do like a hickory corn fairy event. All right. I um, look, I have petitioned for this for so long and people are like, sweet, nah, actually. dude, that'd that's I've never played with hickory clubs, but I've always been intrigued by the idea of going and playing golf and just struggling so hard because you have no idea what you're doing with that type of technology. Yeah, and I don't even <laughs> think it needs to be hickory shafts because honestly, like with yeah. your guy's swing speed, it wouldn't last. But to play yeah. wooden headed clubs um, you know, those old forged irons that are like, you know, the side, like they're, I mean, what can you, they're like a small matchbox, you know, that's how, that's how big they yeah. are. Like a week like that, if we could rein technology in and playing with a wound ball, like if a company would make a ball specifically for that event and sponsor it, I think it would be sick to see you guys on a, I don't know, 58, 6,200 yard course um, that was built in eighteen, you know, forty-five or something. Uh, yeah. It would it <laughs> would bring awesome. back so much golden age era architecture and open up so many more courses. You can have like a hickory open rota of seven or eight courses that that it travels around to each week. Yeah, I I mean I'm intrigued by the idea, but I've I've never hit those clubs, so I like what I have now. Callaway, you know, makes pretty pretty nice stuff, so that's what I got for now. But I think. I think it would be, you know, interesting if they eventually went to, you know, a, a slower ball or, uh, you know, reined back technology a little bit to kind of bring some of those courses back, um, you know, into the rotation. I don't know if we'd get to play them on our tour or not or, or, or what, but um, I, I wouldn't even know where to start, honestly, because there's so much you could do to to change, you know, the game and it's such a touchy subject because I think amateurs, you know, the the average guy, you should be able to play. I mean, literally whatever you want. If you want to play a 500 cc driver with a golf ball <laughs> that doesn't curve, be my guest. I mean, literally, I don't care if you want to go shoot 64 and feel great, go for it. You know, with with that equipment, go for it. That's awesome. That's you know how you want to play, and and you can play how you want to play. Um, but for pros, um, it's it's really probably touchy you know if you start raining back stuff people always pull out the you know well the longest players are still the longest and it's like well yeah i mean that that'll always be true if you if you swing it harder you'll probably hit it further but um you know it, it would probably put a little bit more premium on on ball striking if you uh you know switch back to smaller driver heads and, and stuff like that um but 
honestly, I, I don't know if it'll, it'll probably never happen um, as far as going that far back. But um, I could see maybe, like you said, like one or a couple events a year. Maybe they try it. I don't, I don't know. Like, it could happen. You know, like they, they talked about having the, the specific ball for Augusta National. Um, you know, I don't know if that was serious, but it was an idea that was thrown out. And, and you know, it, it made sense because when you can bomb it over the corner on 13 and, and Augusta and have, you know, a pitching wedge or a nine iron in, it's not really how the golf course is designed to be played. But, you know, there's 15 other holes that are a lot harder than that. So maybe it balances out. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it should be something that that influences money list or or points or anything like that. It should be an exhibition type thing. Um, oh yeah, definitely, for sure. definitely in the off season because look, no one wants to mess up their swing. It's like the guys on the yeah. PGA Tour uh, in the Hawaii swing. A lot of those guys don't play because it's so windy there and they hate playing in the wind. <laughs> That's so true for the Bahamas too. For us, oh like, my God, that those first two weeks in the Bahamas, I was just lost. I, I was with you know just switching from you know i was basically trying to shallow out all winter and then you go that first week and it's blowing like 20 to 30 and i'm like oh boy here we go but then then to go to bogota the week after where that shallowness really came in handy because you have to hit that high spinny ball at altitude but yeah it it's funny that's that's the craziest thing one one week or even just a driving range i mean if you're if you're on a driving range one week where the whole week you're 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 hitting balls you know as a righty into the wind and out of the left like that's a tough wind to constantly practice out of because no matter how hard you fight you know well i'm just going to try to keep hitting straight shots at the end of the day like your eye will always try to straighten out the ball flight you know and your hands will always try to straighten out the ball flight so you'll probably start shifting you know one way or the other with your swing from what you would consider a neutral swing um, just via you know one driving range where the wind is in a different direction. Yeah, and that's what's nuts is is that you guys do what you do and play so well week in week out with all the travel and then how different the course conditions are and how different the elevation is and the wind and the precipitation on the courses and then you know like a normal amateur will be like oh I'm a two handicap you're like oh you must be a good player but he's a two handicap at his home course because it's 6150 yards and he plays it three four times a week and that two traveling to a different course now he becomes an eight and you put him at 7000 yards he becomes a 15 I mean it's just uh it's insane what you guys do out there and and honestly Steven I cannot thank you enough for your time um I'm super excited for this week I was before this interview, I'm even more excited to root you on this week, and I know the people that listen to it will feel the exact same way. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We'd love to have you back anytime, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully we get to see you out there um, on the PGA Tour soon enough. Yeah, for sure. Or, or just, you know, you'll get to see me late this coming Sunday. That'll be nice. Uh, that would be that would be pretty sick, preferably in the last group and the last tee time on Sunday. Exactly. Right where you want to be. Exactly. All right, people, so either get busy golfing or get busy dying. <laughs>